Before we delve into our passage this Sunday, this Christmas Sunday, would you bow with me so we can pray together? We need to depend on God's help in order to receive his word. Let's pray. Father, I know that many of our hearts are just so full of joy at the thought of Jesus Christ and how you sent him into this world and the incarnation, his birth. I know also many of us probably have distractions rattling around in our minds. Some things perhaps weighing down our hearts and our spirits that might make it challenging for us to focus and receive your word right now. So I ask, please, would you overcome all those things, any obstacle between us and a full reception of your word, so that it can sink down, not just in our minds and understanding, but into our hearts and transformation. Let this Christmas be one in which we truly experience communion with you, our relationship with you through Jesus, and hear from you in your word. Please speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I fully believe all the things that we celebrate this time of year, Christmas time. I actually believe these things are true. I just think about them honestly together for a minute. It's surrounded by layers of tradition and memories and warm feelings from our childhoods, but let's peer through all that to just the core facts of Christmas for a moment and look at them with clear eyes. What we celebrate is a baby that was born over 2,000 years ago. What we've been told in the Bible is that this baby was a miracle. It was born of a virgin, Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Part of the story is a group of shepherds out in the fields were confronted by angels. Spiritual beings came and spoke to shepherds and told them to go to where this baby was. And then later, we're told in the Bible that three, we call them wise men or magi, followed a star and found their way to this baby and brought gifts to him as a king. The most bizarre part of it all, underneath the hood of all this, is this doctrine called the incarnation, the idea that this child, Jesus, was actually God in the form of a human baby, born to to a rural mom, also cared for by Joseph, born in in a manger where animals were kept, God making himself like us, one of us, to live among us. Now, do you really believe this? Are we crazy people to believe these things? I mean, if you call somebody who'd never heard this stuff before and describe what we believe and celebrate, don't you think they would think, that is crazy? Who believes these outlandish things? Well, I I do believe these things. I think that these things are not myth or fable. I think they're history handed down to us from reliable witnesses. One of the reasons I believe it has to do with our passage here today. It's because the disciples who became the apostles who conveyed these stories to us, these were not religious gurus who were making up 
religious ideas. These were regular people, just like you and me, who encountered Jesus Christ, a real-life, tangible, actual person in real history. So this isn't just ideas. This is a real person who really lived. And this history was passed down by those who actually knew him. So we're going to read today 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. My hope is that this will reinforce our faith in the reality and the truth of these things we celebrate at Christmas time. And that through that, it'll connect us all with real, true joy, actual joy. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to see that the disciples experienced Jesus as a real-life person, not, not a myth and not an idea. Let's start just with verse 1. John is introducing his letter, which is going to be all about what he calls the, the word of life, which is both the message that Jesus proclaimed, but also Jesus himself embodies this, the word of life. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. There's a lot that can be said about that one verse. I just want to point out to you three ways that John says the disciples experienced Jesus as a real life person. First, he says, we have heard. We've heard the word of life. They heard Jesus's message, but they also heard Jesus's voice. And I think it's really going to be helpful for us if we can connect with the fact that Jesus was a real person. So let's think about that for a minute. What would it have been like to have heard Jesus' voice? Like you're hearing my voice right now. What do you think his voice sounded like? Have you ever thought about it? Do you think it was a deep James Earl Jones type voice? For you kids, James Earl Jones is the actor who was the voice of Darth Vader in the old Star Wars movie. Movie. So do you think he sounded like that? Do you think maybe he had more of a tenor voice? Do you think he spoke with really eloquent diction? Did he sound educated? Or did he sound country? Because he was basically from the countryside And he was a carpenter. He was a blue-collar, work-with-his-hands kind of guy. Do you think he had an accent, a discernible accent to people who lived in that region? Do you think when he started to get sleepy, he slurred some of his words together? Do you think he talked really loudly, kind of like Jim Martin? He's not here. I was hoping he'd be here. But if you're in Shomars and Jim Martin is also in Shomars, you know it whether you see him or not. Do you think Jesus had a loud, booming Jim Martin voice? Or do you think maybe it was a little bit more gentle and quiet and drew you in? I don't know. I don't know the answers to these questions. But the disciples knew because they didn't know Jesus as a religious idea. They knew Jesus as a real life, flesh and blood human being. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Secondly, he says, which we have seen with our eyes. So they saw Jesus. They saw his ministry and his life and how he lived. They also just saw Jesus, his being. So let's try to connect with that in our minds a little bit, in our imaginations. What do you suppose he looked like? 
Now here they knew him as an adult, not as the baby in the manger. But what do you suppose he looked like? We have a little bit of information biblically about his appearance, mainly from the prophecies about him that he would not look like anything really special. He he wouldn't have an appearance that would draw people to him. So he must have looked somewhat average. But how tall do you think Jesus was? I've heard that people naturally follow a tall person as a leader. It's just an instinct. The taller you are, the more likely it is people will follow you as a leader. Do you think Jesus was tall? Picture him with his 12 disciples. Do you think he was taller than all the other 12 disciples? I tend to think maybe not, since I think he was probably fairly average physically. I think he was just sort of in the mix height-wise with the disciples. How do you think he moved about? You know, some people move about and they're almost like athletes and they're graceful and they, when they walk, they have sort of a command. Do you think he was that way? Do you think he had like a quick, confident stride when they would walk from town to town? Or do you think he was more leisurely, more of a Jeff Walsh type of pace? Slowly taking his time through life. What do you think his skin might have looked like? You know, he wasn't, he didn't look like Matt Broadway. Some of the American pictures you see of Jesus make him look very Caucasian, like Matt Broadway with long hair, but he wouldn't have looked like that. He was a Middle Eastern guy. You know, the disciples saw him. They saw his face. What do you think his face looked like? When he smiled, do you think he had a bunch of wrinkles from exposure to the sun? I mean, he was in his early 30s when they were with him, but you know, if you're, if you're out exposed to the sun... One of the things that always gets me when I think about this, and I try to connect to the reality of Jesus, not the idea just as a vague religious idea, but the reality of Jesus. I think about the fact that the disciples were with him all the time while they were with him, and they most likely saw him even first thing in the morning when he woke up. That's pretty intimate, you know, to to see someone when they first wake up, before they've gotten their hair composed and and their eyes are still cloudy with sleep. He was a real person. They saw all this. John says, I'm writing to you about what we heard, about what we saw. And then third, what we looked upon and have touched with our hands. The first part of that, looked upon, is the idea of observing, like really taking it in. They didn't see Jesus the way somebody might think they saw Bigfoot. Oh, did you see that? There was a glimpse of something. It was Jesus. They saw him the way you see your family or your friends. Had plenty of time to observe him, how he lived, but just him as a being. And he says, touch with our hands. Jesus being born in the form of a human being means he was, he was physical flesh and blood body just like you and I. You know, in, in the midst of a crowd, the disciples probably ended up getting jostled up against Jesus. His shoulder felt, his shoulder, his arm. Jesus maybe at some point pat him on the back, felt that hand, the hand of Jesus Christ on their back. Passing bread, maybe the brush of the fingers of Jesus Christ. Maybe at some point there was a hug or an embrace. They didn't experience Jesus as an idea. Not some vague religious idea, but as a real human being. These were the messengers. This was the message. We knew him. We saw him. We heard him. As real as you and I, 
Jesus Christ, and they believed. They believed that he was the Savior and the Messiah. Put another way, as we get into verse 2, he says, he was the life made manifest. Manifest means made visible, made tangible, made real. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Jesus was God made manifest and visible. Jesus was the life that God intended for his people to have made manifest and visible in human form. If I were to pretend you don't know my daughter Lillian, if I were to describe Lillian to you, I might say she's about this tall. In my memory, I have her like this tall when she stands beside me. She's like this tall. Dark hair. Uh, the other descriptor she told me not to use, so I can't use this. Glasses. Yeah, I could describe her to you. You can get an idea, learn a little bit about Lillian. I could take that a step further and show you a picture of Lillian. I know you can't see this back in the back. It's the biggest picture I had in my office. But you can see an image of her, and it's a little bit more manifest, a little bit more visible. Now, if I were to say, Lillian, would you come up here with me? Thank you. Now, Lillian has been made manifest. It's not just a description of Lillian, not the idea of Lillian, and not even just a static picture of Lillian. Actual Lillian made manifest in your presence. This is what Jesus does for us with God himself. Makes God himself and the life that God intends for us not just an idea, not just a notion that we share. He made it manifest. He embodied it. He brought it down to us. Thank you, Lillian. I appreciate it. I asked my kids for a little bit of advice. How can I make sermons just easier to take in as children? And one of the things they said was visuals. And then they become a visual. (laughs) This is the miracle of the incarnation. God himself and the life that he means for his people to have made manifest among us. This is the only message that the disciples had. They were just regular people like you and me explaining what they had heard, seen, touched about Jesus Christ. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. They weren't philosophers or religious gurus. They were just people telling others what they had seen and experienced. A lot of people mistake Christ for an idea. And they miss him altogether because of that. They mix him in with the other ideas that they've heard throughout their life. And they they like the idea of Jesus, the notion of Jesus, some of his teachings. About the same way they might like the idea and notion of some of the things Einstein taught and other leaders and thought leaders. But they miss the fact that he's actually a flesh and blood person. And so you either have to receive or reject him as such, as a person. History tells us he was born. In a miraculous way that we can't fully understand or explain. Tells us that he lived in a miraculous way that we can't fully understand or explain. Without sin, performing many miracles and teaching with an otherworldly authority that surpassed all the religious leaders. Casting out demons, healing people. We know that he said what he said and taught what he taught. And he claimed to be God with us. He claimed to be 
the Lord and Savior. We know that he died. It's a recorded fact. We know that he was buried. And we know that he was saw again three days later alive again in the resurrection. These things are just true. And this passage promises us two things if we receive him, if we believe in this real person, Jesus Christ, God with us. Promises us two things. The first thing is what this passage calls fellowship. The second part of verse 3 says, We proclaim all this to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This fellowship means partnership or like a shared life together. It means an end to isolation and aloneness. It's better than friendship. Christian fellowship is better than friendship. It's better even than romantic love, even between spouses. It's better than the companionship of a good pet. It is the relational need our hearts have been crying out for since we were born. We were designed to live in fellowship, in relationship with God and with God's people. And apart from that, we're just always looking to connect and never finding it. And it's Jesus Christ who connects us, who reconnects us with God, reconnects us with God's people. And I've talked to many people who claim to be Christians, and yet they have no discernible relationship with God, no discernible relationship with God's people. And biblically, that doesn't exist. Because when you are saved, you're not just saved from your sins to continue living as you always did. You're saved into a relationship with God and into a relationship with God's people. A Christian who has no discernible relationship with God and God's people doesn't even make sense to me biblically. I don't even know what one means by that. Because to be a Christian is to live in relationship with God and God's people in fellowship. That's like saying, I'm married to Meredith but I don't talk to her, have no relationship with her, don't live with her, don't really see her, don't really care. Doesn't work. If you're saved, you're saved into these relationships, and it's awesome. The second thing promised to us if we will believe in Jesus Christ is in verse 4, and that's joy. And this is where we'll land. It's a fitting theme to land on Christmas Sunday. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Your translation may not say our joy. It may say your joy. What it means is the joy of us. It's all of our joy. We want all of our joy to be complete together in Christ. That's why he's writing this to the original recipients. And that's why God is giving it to us this morning. God wants our joy to be complete, fulfilled completely accomplished. And he knows that that only happens through faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt what I'll call Christmas desperation? Today's the 23rd, Christmas Eve Eve. It's almost over. Have you enjoyed it? You better enjoy it now because it's almost over. Have you ever felt that sense of how in the world it's already here? And I haven't enjoyed it as much as I feel like I should have enjoyed it. 
I haven't felt those same feelings I felt when I was a kid. I've tried to get them. I've tried to decorate the house as such so that I would feel it. I've tried to wear the sweaters as such so that I would feel it. I've sent Christmas cards. I've received Christmas cards. We've baked. We've gotten gifts. We've given gifts. We've watched the Grinch. We've read A Christmas Carol. We've done all this stuff. We've had some enjoyment, but it just doesn't seem like we've had the, as much joy as we need to, and time's running out. Have you ever felt that, or am I just a crazy person up here? We have this sense that we should feel so much joy this time of year, and yet sometimes it's just elusive and out of reach. Sometimes instead of joy, what we experience is depression and anxiety. The older we get, we cling to the memories. You know, Christmas was easy as a kid. You're oblivious to the problems your parents face, and you just receive a bunch of gifts. Well, that's pretty easy to enjoy. The older you get, though, the more Christmas represents a whole lot of responsibility and a whole lot of hustling. Get all your year-end work done. Get all your Christmas shopping done. Plan out all the family strategies on the whiteboard like a military strategist. And next thing you know, you have this feeling of, I should be enjoying it, I'm not enjoying it. And there's actually a spike in reported depression around this time of year and after. Probably because of this. So I just say all that to put you at ease. You don't have to grab Christmas like a sponge and wring out all the joy you possibly can from it. From the lights and the family and the food and the festivities. Enjoy it. It's good. It's fine. But there's true joy available to you. It's a joy that roots down deeper than any of that stuff. It's a joy that you can have in your heart, even when all the other stuff goes completely wrong. You string up all your lights on your house, one bulb goes out, and it's all gone. All that work, and your house looks just as dumb as it did before you started. You can still have joy when you have Jesus Christ. You, you work out all the family dynamics it's complicated enough when, when it's a bunch of nuclear households intact, but this day and age, that's increasingly rare. And so now you're strategizing step, parent, families, kids, who's got the kids, what weekend, you get it all worked out. And then that falls through for some reason. You got something wrong. The kids aren't where you thought they were going to be. The grandparents don't get to see those kids or something. Or there's tension within the family because of some hurt feelings in the past. And it's just everybody's there. They're dressed in red and green, and yet it's not happening. Well, it's okay. That's okay. If you have Jesus Christ, you can still have joy in the midst of a tense family get-together. Because your roots go down deeper than that. Your finances. Just your emotional state beyond anything you can point to as to why. There are any number of things that might make it where we can't experience that Hallmark card joy that we wish we could. What I want to remind us of, what this passage reminds us of, is true joy. And so I just want to close by inviting you to receive it afresh if you already have this joy in Jesus Christ. Or perhaps for the first time, if, you, if you've always just appreciated the idea of Jesus but never embraced the person of Jesus as your own Savior and Lord. It's the joy of forgiveness. Now think about that for just a moment. Just the joy of forgiveness. Now, I know the things I've done wrong in my life. I don't know all the things you've done wrong, but you do. Now, think about if you had to bear that guilt 
before a holy God. How crushing that would be. Some of us have grown up in the church and we're so used to the idea that our sins are forgiven, it doesn't mean anything anymore. But think about it afresh. It means everything. There's no joy like that. Your guilt removed. And now God sees you as fully innocent because Jesus bore that on the cross for you. It's the joy of cleansing. Freedom from shame. Some of the things that we do wrong or have had done wrong to us leave us with this haunting, lingering sense of shame. And so we hide our true selves from people. And we live in the darkness and have compartments that we can't ever let anybody be aware of. But in Jesus Christ, that's all removed because you're fully cleansed when you trust and follow Jesus. And God knows you inside and out and loves you. It's the joy of freedom. No more enslavement to sin and the ways of this world. It's the joy of living in the light. Just being humble and honest who you are because you are redeemed by God through Jesus Christ. It's the joy of relationship with God's people. Fellowship with us. No more living in isolation. It's the joy of a relationship with God. No more living like an orphan in this world, as if it's all up to you to figure everything out. Now you have God as your father. So there is great joy to be experienced at Christmas time that goes so much deeper than the trappings of our cultural traditions and celebrations. My prayer for all of us is that because this is real, this is true, we will abound in real, true joy this Christmas together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to be God with us, Emmanuel, to live as one of us, fully human yet fully divine, and a miraculous mystery we'll never fully comprehend. Or help us, just even those just here in this room, not dismiss Jesus as a religious idea, but embrace him as a real human being. And to feel the real joy and fellowship that comes from following him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.